Hello, everybody. This is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life, because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. It's true. It's true. I wouldn't lie to you about that. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, premier free writing magazine on the internet featuring articles on writing, writing life, as well as video and audio interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors across the genres. Yes, indeed. Got great, great articles about how to write, about the business, and just how it is to be a person who writes, you know, because that's got its own unique challenges. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. And as I mentioned, we got some interviews. We got video interviews. Got a good one coming up in March. But right now, uh, well, anyway, I don't want. Let's. We. I've talked about it in the past. They're all on there. Great interviews. All kinds of people. All genres. Romance writers. YA writers. Nonfiction writers. Poets. They're all on there. Check it out. Authormagazine.org. And we're funded by the Pacific Northwest Writers Association, supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955. Yes, they are. And yes, they have been. So if you live in the Pacific Northwest, definitely, and you write, why haven't you joined? Why? Why haven't you done it? you got to do it. Uh, they're a great organization. They, have, they give classes, uh, which I teach. Yes, yes, I do. And in fact, I will be teaching uh, April 4th. I'll be teaching live in person. Fearless writing. You've heard me talk about it. Well, there's nothing like it when it's live. Just you, me, other, the other students talking about fearless writing. Yes. So if you're in the Seattle area, you can come to that. But even if you're not, you know, if you want to join the uh, Pacific Northwest Writers Association, but you don't live in the Pacific Northwest, don't worry about it. They have monthly meetings, and those are broadcast over the Internet, so you can get those anywhere. Yes, you can. Uh, so it's great. And, of course, they have a writers' conference every year in September now. It's one of the best conferences in the country, easily. And uh, they support all kinds of writers, screenwriters, poets, uh, nonfiction, everything, everything. And that's in September, and they're already people are signing up for it already, and you can do it too at pnwa.org. Yeah. Now listen. Uh, so to February 29th, February 29th, I'm going to be teaching online fearless writing. What that means is if you got yourself an iPhone or an iPad or just any kind of built-in camera for your computer, you can come join an online live face-to-face, digitally anyway. Fearless Writing Workshop, February 29th. And then the next week, March 7th, I'm going to be doing Fearless Marketing, same way. Yes, indeed. Fearless Writing, Fearless Marketing, online. So if you're not in Seattle, where I happen to live, don't worry about it. You can do it from anywhere. California, Zimbabwe, New York, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Uh, spots are filling up. I can only do so many of these people. Can only, only so many students. So check it out at William Canauer. Dot com. That's where you can sign up for. Okay, today. Oh, I'm so glad I got today's guest on. I love this young woman. Uh, I met her through my time at Writer's Digest, and things are taking off for her, so I got her on the show. Her name is Jess Safaris, and she is the author of Once Upon a Word, a Word Origin Dictionary for Kids, and she's also an award-winning innovator of digital content and marketing solutions and a prolific online and print journalist, having served as the executive director of marketing and communications for Gotham Ghost Writers. Before that, she served as digital content director and content strategist for Writer's Digest and Script, and she still occasionally writes for Writer's Digest. Her nine years of experience in digital and print content direction and marketing include such roles as editor-in-chief of How Magazine, an online content director of How and Print Magazine, as well as writing for the Hot Sheet 
the Denver Business Journal, ABC News, and the Memphis Commercial Appeal. She spends much of her spare time researching curious word histories and writing about them at uselessetymology.com. Jess, welcome to the show. Thanks, Bill. Thanks for having me on. That was uh, quite the intro. Well, that's all you, kiddo. That's you. That's you. That's you. That's that's what you sound like when somebody else talks about you. It sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Can you believe you did all that stuff? I like it. It sounds like a lot in one paragraph like that. Yeah, I know. Well, so here's the thing. When you were going to, did you go to school? Did you go to college? I did, yeah. I, I went to, I got my undergrad from DePaul University in literature anthropology and Arabic. And then my graduate degree is in uh, journalism and mass communications from C. Boulder. Okay. All right. So you went, you just got your basic, like learn about stuff undergraduate and you focused a little more in graduate. And was the plan to go into, to say, you know, I'm going to go to school. I want to become a digital content director and content strategist. Was that the plan or did you not know what you wanted to do? You know, that came from, it was sort of an evolution. I knew that I wanted to write for a living. I knew that I wanted to get into any sort of publishing. Um, But I found that I was really good at getting internet points across a lot of different platforms. And uh, over time, I learned how to become, you know, kind of a a multimedia strategist across those platforms. Um, And as I collected roles and as as I learned to take advantage of those things, I was learning what people were connecting with, the kind of stories that people were reading, the words they were looking up to learn about words, et cetera. Interesting. So, all right, so you knew you wanted to write. Now, how, at what point in your life did you know you wanted to write? How, how, how young were you when that happened? Oh, I think uh, fairly immediately. I was always into creative writing when I was a kid. I, um, I wrote a lot of stories when I was younger. And then um, by the time I was in undergrad, I was uh, doing internships and side jobs in writing and social media and blogging. Um, always, I, I used to write on LiveJournal when I was a kid, and then um, ultimately that evolved into like several iterations of my own blogs. Right, right. And so you grew up with the internet. You're like my my son. Mm-hmm. Oh God. Okay, I'm sorry to date myself, but you grew up really with it. Like you probably have very little memory, if any, of life without it. I uh, my earliest memories of the internet definitely involve that dial-up noise from AOL. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Mm-hmm. So, so you still have that. Soon, a couple time, <laughs> people will not remember even that, Jess. And so, all right. So that was. So you were right in there early on, and um, and so and so you you discovered. You said you, you sort of figured out. You began to sort of learn how to work with it. Because, you know, I, the reason I'm interested in it is a lot of writers, they're older than you, a lot of the people I have to talk to, and they're very confused by the digital marketing. They're frustrated by it. They find it mysterious. Um, obviously, you do not. Um, do you ever try to teach people about it, uh, teach classes in how to use it and how to sort of demystify it and understand it? Yeah, actually, I have. I, uh, I while I was at How, I was the, when I was the editor of How magazine, I wrote an online course on um, SEO, basically using a variety of tools to identify the keywords that people are looking for in your particular subject matter, and then ensuring that your content strategy across, you know, social media, your blog, if you have a print publication, uh, if you have another online platform, uh, ensuring that the topics that you, you know, your core 
topical areas that you write about are uh, applicable across those platforms and then use the right terms so that people can find them. Right. Now, when you mm-hmm. sit down to write stuff, how much of that kind of thought is in your mind? How, or how much is it just, I'm just, I'm just going into the topic, whatever it is, and how much of that kind of thinking permeates your, your work as you're writing? It completely depends on the context. In a professional okay. setting, say when I was at Writer's Digest, my objective was to, uh, first of all, determine what people needed that they weren't receiving in the writing world, what kinds of advice, what, uh, what right. kinds of topics they were looking up, and, and the ones that they weren't getting. So, um, you know, say we, we found that people wanted more information about audiobooks. And I, I say this because I'm writing, a, I'm writing an article for Writer's Digest right now about audiobook readers. Um, ah. But uh, say, you know, people want to learn how they're produced and everything. So I would research, I would go into Google Analytics uh, and Google AdWords, and I would determine what sorts of things people are typing into Google to determine, you know, to find out about that topic. And then um, I would create a content plan based on, um, you know, uh, on all of the different platforms that Writer's Digest has um, to craft a, a content strategy that answers those questions um, and then is discoverable ultimately when it runs online and on social media. So we'd have this wonderful feature in the magazine. We would have um, perhaps a, a, a presentation at one of our conferences, and then right. um, that would appear in multiple iterations online and then have native content on each of our social platforms as well. Uh, you're missed. And then you're missed. <laughs> you're missed. And then on I the other, the other, sorry, go ahead. No, please. And then the other, what? Well, the other element of this is that when I'm writing about etymology, I scrap all of that. And it's only based on, Hey, I wonder what that word or where that word came from. And then I look at right. it when I write about it. So when did that start? When did your, cause I've been writing all my life. I never cared where words come from. And, I, and we were talking beforehand, my father-in-law uh, when he was alive was very interested in that. And he was the first person who introduced me to the kind of curious way that words begin and where they change. So when did that start for you? And I just love his book, by the way. It's fantastic. Oh, great. Oh, he would make me very happy to hear that. Um, so what, so I've been when did writing it start? About, oh, yeah, so I've been, I've been writing about etymology first on Reddit and Facebook just for fun, uh, and then right. on my blog called Useless Etymology for, I'd say, about a decade total. Um, initially, I'd say it was a result of my own curiosity and a couple of courses that were part of my undergraduate degree. Um, the, the thing is, and the thing that, that inspired me in the first place, uh, is that, you know, the wonderful thing about this topic is that it's a gateway into the history of literally everything we have a name yeah. for. Yeah. Every time we say or we write a word, we call upon millennia of human history and the wisdom of all the people who came before us. So, you know, yeah. the, the word etymology itself, it comes from the, the Latin word etymon, meaning true, the, the study oh. of the truest sense of words. And uh, as we all unfortunately know, our world is one in which the truest sense of words and events is not always clear. That's so, correct. Um, I've been, <laughs> yes. So I've been doing this, uh, these little explorations not only to satisfy my own curiosity, but to dive into the very truest sense of things. Um, right. 
I remember when I was a kid, I read um, a lot of Terry Pratchett's, and honestly, I still do, um, a lot of Terry Pratchett's right. Discworld books. Um, yep. There's this sub-series uh, that's more targeted to kids uh, about a witch named Tiffany Aching. And she's this thoughtful girl who likes to learn new words and work out how things function. And several times in the series, Tiffany thinks to herself, it doesn't stop being magic just because you know how it works. And I think that's especially true of word origins, because if you understand where a word comes from, you can see how it's this um, microcosm of history, this uh, whole thread of minds and discovery of inventiveness and authorship that empowers you to wield that word with greater intention and power in your writing and in your everyday conversations. And, and language really, I mean, really it's language is changed by events changed by the culture it's planted in because the meaning of a word changes as it's used in a certain context. Yeah. I mean, it's going to change. Right. And so it's really such a reflection of the way people are thinking at that time. Mm -hmm. The the English language came from dozens of different uh, cultures Uh, primarily. I mean, we we think often think of like Latin and Greek as being um, the, the, core sources of the English language, I would say about half of the English words uh, of English words have Latin origins or came to English from old French via Latin origins. Um, But even those like the Latin words, about half of those came through old French during the Norman conquest. Uh, yeah. when the Norman French invaded England and then mingled with the Anglo-Saxons. And the, you can tell the difference between words that come from the Anglo-Saxons who didn't have a written language and cared about things like barns and cows right. and, you know, fields and things where, versus the Norman French who had a written language and had this, you know, Latin-derived or Roman-derived culture, which involved, you know, romance and intelligence and philosophy and concepts along right. those lines. So philosophy is from, from Greek, I should say. Um, and then, you know, it, in addition to that, we've got all these words from, you know, from Africa and from uh, Native American sure. cultures and dozens of others. So it's amazing. And the Vikings. The Vikings brought all kinds the of Vikings. language. The Vikings were big because they invaded England and they brought like Sky and Window, those are the two I know for mm-hmm. sure that were Vikings. Now, they had a huge influence. All right, so you got interested, you little word nerd. It's good. You just started just <laughs> digging in, and you would use words as a portal to learn more. And I, I have to say, I, I, so, I was, so you would tweet your, some of your useless, useless etymology stuff, and I just loved it. I would catch it when it would you know, scroll by on my Twitter feed. I thought it was so funny and a lot of fun. And what did, is so? And I understand it. Your publisher found you for Once Upon a Word. Is that true? Is this true? That is correct. Yes. Wow, wow. So that what? So tell me how that went. Yeah. Okay. So this book was published through Callisto Media's imprint, Rockridge Press. Um, and what I'd say it's um, it's closer to being a traditional publisher than an indie publisher at this point. But uh, they are a bit different from other publishers. So they don't field proposals from authors or literary agents, usually, as far as I know. Um, But they select topics based on search data and then seek out people qualified to write books around those topics. So um, 
so they'll determine, and, and this will go back to sort of the way I think about, you know, content development for Writer's Digest, like I was talking about a minute ago. Um, so they, they determine what book topics people are searching for that don't yield many results, and they seek out influencers who, you know, meet the needs of those queries. So I think in my case, my, the queries in question were around word origins for kids and dictionaries for kids. Um, right. I think they also do a lot of cookbooks as well, which makes sense considering a sure. lot of people with specific dietary needs will search for cookbooks that may or may not have things turn up. So it'll be like keto, uh, sorry, keto or paleo right. or gluten-free cookbooks. Right. Um, in any case, in my case, um, apologies. Um, in my case, they found uh, my etymology blog and the social media accounts that were associated with them, which at the time I think had about like 3000 followers all told. Um, So not huge, but decent in size and active enough so that when I post something on the blog or on Twitter, you know, people read it. Um, And they had an acquisition editor who was just super fun to work with, um, reached out to me on my blog, set up a call, proposed um, a rough idea for the book, which was pretty loose. Um, And that was back in June. I signed on in July, and then I finished the first draft in September. So it was pretty quick. Wow. Whoa. <laughs> Jesus. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, you know what, though? I wrote Fearless Writing, I think, months or something like that. So it, can, it can be done if you, if you kind of have your, have your vision, right? Right. Right. Okay. Um, so you did it out the first few months. Uh, how did that go? So before we get, how did, did you like that? Because that was one thing to write a to write. You say, well, let me see what I'm interested in. Because this has been a project of yours. Now it's becoming professional. And so, did you was was that okay? Was it was it a hard shift, or was it easy for you to do? Uh, because I had been writing about the subject for a long time, I was able to use a great deal of my past research when developing the definitions. So it wasn't as if I was working from scratch, um, but it was a lot of work in a short amount of time and I would have perhaps preferred a couple of months more to work on it. Um, but right. then, you know, the deadline did keep me on task and it wasn't impossible by any means. Right. But you liked it emotionally. I mean, did you like it emotionally <laughs> being, being hired to do something that you had been doing sort of just on your own? Did it drain any it, of the fun out of it or was it just as fun? Honestly, I think it was uh, it was validating that other people wanted to know more about it. You know, I, I knew people right. had read about it on Twitter, but I, it meant that people were active, actively searching for something that I enjoy writing about. So um, right. I don't think it did suck any of the fun out of it. Um, so I did, you know, I, I've mostly written for adults. A lot of the, uh, yeah. the content on my blog is not only, you know, written tonally for adults, but it's kind of adult in theme. So, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, I worked with uh, I worked with these editors who um, helped me polish the book and nail the right tone and level right. for kids. So, uh, one of them was a freelance editor who was a mom, and she helped immensely. And, you know, she was like, you know, kids probably wouldn't understand this. Maybe frame it for someone who's in middle school, and that helped a lot. Yeah, because what was your age? What was the – because my wife uh, published a children's book, which she had – but it was really, like, so specific, like – I think it was like seven to 10, you know, was kind of the, the age they were looking at. And so, cause you know, a five-year-old is not an 11 year old. It's a big difference. And so when you were picturing a child in your mind, what age did you have in mind? They had targeted 
um, ages nine to thirteen. So this is roughly like middle school. Um, I, right. I'd say I'd say um, a clever kid who likes words as low as um, age five to seven could have a, a great time with it, and then adults who are older and just want to know ba- the basics of word origins who, you know, may not know one of the 800 words in there. So might also find it really enjoyable. Now, would you have, would you have, if someone had given you this for your birthday, when you were nine, would you have been happy about it? Would you have been? Oh, I would have been delighted. That's, I, I would say that's basically who I was writing it for is nine year old. Good. Me. Good. <laughs> oh, it's perfect. And so is it funny? Do you let your, are you allowed to let your sense of humor eke in there a little bit? I did. In fact, they specifically asked me to retain a degree of humor. So I'd say, I, you know, I definitely took it down a notch in terms of appropriateness. All right. But you still kept your humor, but just, just, just weeded out some of the adult stuff. Not like I, the kids would all understand it, but we just don't want to be the one to share it with them. So, okay, good. Good, good. So you kept your sense of humor, and so you finished it. Bing, bang, boom. It's going to be out. Well, so today, boys and girls, it's the 18th of February. But next Tuesday is its launch date, its official publication date. And uh, it's not the kind of book you do a book tour on, but I assume you have some plans in mind for how to let people know about it. I've seen it already, you know, circulating around the various things. Have you got a, a strategy in mind? Uh, yes, yes, indeed. It, you know, what's funny is um, a nice thing about what uh, Callisto provides is some advice on, you know, uh, marketing strategies. And as right. a content marketer, I was well familiar with everything they said. Um, but one funny thing that I thought they included on their list of recommendations for promoting the book was to take a picture of the book with your pet, because apparently that sells more books than any other wow. strategy. Oh, God. Well, and, I have you know, a cat. I've got, I've I've got to remember pets, that for so. my next book. Yeah, do it. I have, I, well, I have four pets, so I'm working on the, the pet photography with each one. You know, Now I've got to get all four of them in there. Uh, so, all right, so you've dug into all these words. Now, in all the digging you've done, have you ever uh, run across some words that like writers in particular – would be interested in that their, their etymology might be of use to it, to a writer. Yes. Yes, indeed. So many. Um, let's see. So I'm trying to think off the top of my head. I, I told you this would be great. Um, a couple of ones <laughs> that I just really love <laughs> that I just really love are um, so thesaurus uh, essentially means tre- treasure trove and it comes from the Greek thesaurus meaning treasury or treasure chest, which I think is super cool. Um, that is cool. See. The word protagonist was originally a theatrical term. It comes from the Greek protagonistes, um, yeah. protagonistes um, which was a word for the main actor in a play. Um, it means first competitor, actually. Um, so, really? You know, and, then, and then your your antagonist is your... your um, actor or or competitor who's moving against the protagonist which is kind of neat funny enough um antagonist is older than protagonist at least in english Um, it was adopted in the late 1500s i believe as a word uh meaning you know someone who contends with another sort of person in any sort of sport or contest so probably a real person whereas a protagonist was always a performer or a fictional player in a story Interesting. So, uh, so an antagonist could be a real person, a real pain mm-hmm. in your butt, 
but a protagonist is always a fictional person. That is kind of interesting. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know what it reminds me of? Some people, I, I, this is not a religious show, but some people who, who are sort of atheists will believe in evil but not good. It's easier to believe in evil sometimes than, than good. I feel it's that, that, oh, that's that, a good that point. Yeah, I think it's linked to the antagonist. Okay, what else? What are the good words you got? All right. Um, so the climax, you know, the, the part yes. of the story where the action, emotion, or tension re- reaches its highest point. Um, it is, since it's the height of the action or tension in the story, uh, the word climax comes from the Greek climax, which literally means ladder. Ladder? Really? Ladder. Mm-hmm. How did that make its way over to, uh, how did the word for ladder m- migrate over to, a, just because that's where the, the scene reaches its peak and so they, they, they derived it from that? That's interesting. So during the um, romantic period, and I would have to verify the exact date when this happened, um, people started writing about uh, literary theory. Um, it may have uh, even been as early as the, the 1500s or so. Um, it, it, whenever, when people started writing more theoretically about stories, um, they tended to draw from Greek and Latin words, sort of in the way that the medical and scientific professions tend to pull Latin and Greek words in as well. Um, more, right. you know, we need a fancy way to speak intellectually right. about this topic. Right, mm-hmm. right. As soon as you put so it in Latin or Greek... Have- yeah. Right. All right. Go ahead. Go they ahead. tend to have a lot of symbolism. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So okay. So the book is coming out in a week. How, how do you? How do you? What do you think about that? How do you feel about being? And you've been you've been writing a lot of stuff. You've been talking to authors. You've been writing for authors. You're you're an author of stuff, but now you've got an actual book. What do you think about that? Does it, does it has it hit you? Do you care? Does it not oh, matter? Okay. Is it like everything else you do? No, I, I regularly have trouble not, you know, squealing over the box of <laughs> oh, author good. copies that I receive. When I when I see it in a bookstore for the first time, I think I might just collapse. Wow. Wow. That's that's so and this all just got sprung on you. That's so kinda of cool the way it happened. You didn't really have to do anything but just keep doing what you like to do, yeah? Exactly. It was it was a pure passion project. Oh God. It's you know, it's just the key. It's the key, Jess, I'm telling you, that the, the stuff that just comes easiest, that you don't even think about, that seems like a hobby, I just think that's where our genius is. I do. I do. I think that's where our, that's the seat of each of our genius. And if we just follow that, we're good to go. And I think that this book is a, just a perfect example of that, if you ask it's me. It's so true. Yeah, no, it um, you is. Know, it's the, the old adage, like, write what you know. I, I've always thought that wasn't so much true as, you know, write what you want to know. Yeah. What, write what you know you're interested in. How about that? Write mm-hmm. what you know exactly. you care about. Because, you know, if you write, when I was a kid, I felt like, well, I know about Wiffle Ball and Captain Crunch. <laughs> what the hell do I know about? I felt like nothing. But absolutely, write about what you know you care about, what you want to know. That's good. Uh, well, all right. So. This is good. So it'll be out. So if somebody wants to uh, buy it for their kid, or maybe some kid is listening to this, I don't know. I don't rule out that possibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, where's the be- What's the best way to, f- to get it, find out about it, et cetera? Or about you, well, as a- you period. <laughs> oh, sure, sure. Um, so they, they can read my blog anytime at uselessetymology.com. Um, the book is available at Barnes & Noble, via IndieBound, and on Amazon. Um, it'll be in 
all major retailers and a great deal of indie bookstores as well. Um, and I'm looking forward to all of that. Um, they can also tune into, or they can also read uh, my past work on Writer's Digest. Um, you can follow me at Adweek if you're also interested in, uh, right, <laughs> in advertising. Right. Yes, that's right. All right, good. And, and do you have your own actual just website or is the blog really serve as your website? I have a portfolio site at justtheferris.com, but I would say I put the majority of my love into the blog. So um, right. I would, if you're interested in word origins, if you're interested in me, you're also interested in word origins and you can find out about that there. Right. You see people, listen, listen, maybe you don't want to write a thing mm -hmm. on word origin, but find something that just tickles your fancy and follow it. And you never know where it's going to go. You don't know. You could be on a show with me talking about it. All right. So Jess, I'm not quite ready, ready to let you go just yet. Our time is almost up, but I'd like you to finish this sentence. If writing all the writing you've ever done has taught you anything, it's taught you what? Ooh. I would say to be, hmm, to wield your words for good and for the cultivation of knowledge. Oh, wield your words for good. Amen. I agree. I agree. Be a force for love, for God's sakes. It won't kill you. Jess, thank you so much. You're awesome. I'm glad to hear you're doing so well, and I can't wait for your next book, whatever it is. Thank you. Thank you so much, Phil. I am so looking forward to listening to your next episode and catching this one again. All right. Take it easy, Jess. Thank you, Bill. Oh, people, do good. It's true. You know, it's true. I tell my students in my personal essay classes and memoir classes, anybody I teach, if you want, the best way to have a writing career, I think, is to leave your readers feeling better at the end of what you wrote than they did at the beginning. You just, because we all always want to feel good. It's true. Nobody ever wants to feel bad. We do a lot, but we don't want it. No, we don't. We want to feel good. I want, speaking of feeling good, I want to thank my wonderful producer, RJ Jeffries. Thank you, RJ. You are awesome. And to all of you out there, go find something you love to do. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. You don't have to know where it's going to go. Just know that you love doing it and do it and do it and do it and you will be fine. Listen up. I won't sugarcoat it. This is the longest cold flu and allergy season we've ever seen, but we're not alone. We've got Instacart. Sure, you may be a coughing snot faucet who just wants mommy, but you're not giving up! Not when cold medicine, fragrant herbal teas, and honey shaped like bears can be delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. Now let's go win the sick playoffs! Daddy, I just want my soup. Oh, sorry, Sport App says it'll be here in, in a few minutes. <laughs> Instacart for the win. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. You know you
Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial, LLC, member SIPC. 